Welcome to another episode of the National Rural Ed Podcast, The Rural Voice. Uh, we are excited to have uh, a returning guest with us today, Dr. Lisa Costello. I'm joined by Dr. Chris Silver. Dr. Pratt is on the road today, so uh, we're, we'll, we'll get more airtime, Chris. Well, actually, maybe we can get a word in on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Alan will love to hear us say that. So this, I, I'm very interested as an educator and a parent to, for a follow-up from our uh, episode back in the spring talking about the the impact of the pandemic and and some things with COVID. So um, and and I didn't have the opportunity to actually be on that episode. So Chris, I want to kick it over to you to um, segue us into this follow-up episode with Dr. Costello. Yep. So that we of course um, asked Dr. Costello to join us again because um, even since uh, having her on back in spring, the world has changed yet again. Um, we not only do we have some additional, I think we have at least at least one additional subvariant, if not more. Dr. Costello can correct me on that. But um, we've also got some uh, some new diseases that have emerged into the public sphere, um, and so we thought. Um, not to mention, um, one of the things that we were talking about off the recording before we started was, um, you know, sort of some of the confusion as to like, where does the world currently stand in terms of COVID? Um, what are some, of you know, one of the things that Dr. Bingham and I were sort of talking about was like, you know, how much of this has changed, um, not only the rural, but the urban setting. Um, we we're sort of sharing that with Dr. Costello too, about some, you know, some regions are responding differently than others. And so we thought, hey, what a great opportunity to have Dr. Costello come back and share her expertise on this topic because um, the world is a different place now and we're all just kind of playing it day by day. And so, yeah, um, Dr. Costello, um, we are super excited to have you today and we definitely would love some of your insights. So let's, I think the best place to start is let's start with COVID. Where do we stand? Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Silver and Jared, for having me back, it's in my regards to Alan. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to to join everyone again, and I'm coming to y'all from from West Virginia. And um, I think where we're at now is is a different place than we were uh, back in 2020. Um, you know, we're probably even a little bit of a different place than we were the last time we spoke in the the spring. And in I think. People are tired. I I get it. Uh, you know, this has been a long uh, pandemic, um, but we're still seeing cases of COVID. And as you alluded to, Dr. Silver, uh, Chris, that we have some of these variants. So people are always like, what are, what are variants? And variants are kind of just changes that the virus makes. So different strains that might pop up. Um, and sometimes, you know, there there's similar to the original strain, but they have just a little bit of, of difference. And with the, the virus that causes COVID-19, there's these spike proteins on the virus. And that's kind of really what we see change. Um, and the tricky thing about these different strains of the virus or variants is that people who already have had COVID could get COVID again. Um, even if they may have had a mild course, they could have a more serious course. We sometimes see it impact um, different people differently. And we also can see sometimes a need to um, adapt our uh, strategies that we we use to try to prevent 
really severe disease. And so right now, you know, when we're talking kind of end of, of August, there's very close to having an, an Omicron uh, variant booster shot um, that really focuses on uh, what we're seeing mostly in our community, which is this Omicron variant uh, BA4, BA5. So they have different kind of ways to describe them, different nomenclature. And that's really what we're seeing mostly. So we're still seeing uh, a lot of cases. And really what we're seeing reported is probably underreported because we have so many home tests available now. So people, uh, me included, you know, I work in a hospital. I've had exposures. I have a, a little one at home. She's six months old. She uh, was able to get uh, her first COVID shot um, this month. And you know, I, I want to do what I can to protect her. That's why I got her vaccinated. But I also want to, you know, test at home. Fortunately, I've always tested negative, but we have home tests available now. And so there's likely even more cases of COVID out there than we, we know about. And so we are at a different uh, kind of state of the pandemic. We have vaccines, which we can dive into a little bit more of where we're at in the state of vaccines. But we also have other treatments available. So we have uh, treatments that people can take if they they get COVID that can help uh, reduce their their symptoms. Um, and I think people are a little bit more cognizant and understand like, okay, if I'm not feeling well, maybe I should take a home test, um, see if I'm I'm positive, and then take those those steps to further prevent spread. But certainly need to still be washing hands. And um, and I personally still wear a mask when I go out just because we have still continued to see uh, high transmission. I think at least when I go out, most people aren't wearing masks. I think in schools, uh, you know, it's very much a, a choice um, for individuals to choose if they want to have a mask. As a pediatrician, I think I'll always wear a mask to work because um, I've liked not getting the typical uh, kiddo viruses that I would would get being a pediatrician and, and caring for children. Um, but when it comes to the pandemic, I think we certainly have a time to continue to be be hopeful as we see people uh, return to doing and living their their regular life. Um, I'm a big sports person. You know, we have a, a sports season kicking back off with with fall sports, uh, college sports, but we certainly are continuing to see cases and continuing to see a lot of hospitalizations um, of all ages, including uh, children. Last time I was on the inpatient service a couple of weeks ago, um, I had a patient of varying ages from, you know, under one month of age to a teenager um, who had COVID. So when I was on a week, I had at least one COVID patient every day. So we're still seeing COVID out there. We have a, a, more tools in our our toolbox um, and certainly are able to somewhat get back to some of the regular activities we've had, but also continue to, to see people be impacted by this disease. Yeah, and, th and that was one of the questions I had. If you were seeing a certain demographic or age group that was consistently showing up with COVID more, or is it just sort of all over the spectrum, uh, like during the pandemic? The, the whenever we were at the, I guess, the crest of the pandemic? I think it's a mix. We're seeing certainly all ages. I personally, and, and this is just anecdotally, when I was on last, I tended to have younger patients who were admitted. So really 
below one year of age who were admitted either because they had a fever. And when you're uh, certainly under a month old and you have a fever, we want to make sure um, we we look into what's going on because babies um, that young shouldn't have a fever and their immune system is not really where it needs to be. So they're at higher risk for getting really sick from bacteria or viruses uh, to uh, kids that have challenges breathing. Um, and so we are also have other diseases out there, which, which Chris alluded to, and we can certainly talk more about that. But we have continued to see children get hospitalized, get, uh, you know, be tested positive for, for COVID. And then also individuals who really have been at the highest risk throughout the pandemic. So those who are are older, those who live in uh, congregate care settings like nursing homes, and those people who have a, a weakened immune system, whether that's a medicine they take that causes their immune system to be a little bit weakened, or they have an underlying medical condition that, that causes them to have a, a weakened immune system. Uh, those continue to be the people we see at highest risk, but uh, you know, close to two thirds of, of children that get hospitalized for with COVID-19 disease, they have no underlying condition. Um, so it's really hard still, even, you know, two and a half years into the pandemic, it's really hard to predict who's really going to get severe COVID-19 disease. That's why we want to do all that we can to prevent people from getting it in the first place, because uh, still to this day, it's very hard for us to predict who will will get really bad disease that lands them in the hospital. Uh, we're also learning more about post-COVID symptoms. So some people call that long COVID um, and how that impacts. Last time, Chris and Al and I got a little bit into obviously the mental health impact that we've seen from the pandemic. Um, but we, we see with post-COVID, some people have long-standing fatigue, uh, symptoms, headaches, other neurologic symptoms, uh, shortness of breath. And so we're continuing to really learn a lot more about those post-COVID symptoms and how that's going to impact people who had COVID for, uh, you know, weeks and months uh, to come in the future. Yeah, from what, I'm, what I've seen thus far from my own field of psychology, some of the other things that we've started seeing is cognitive death, deficits. We're starting to see some memory retrieval issues um and there's been some some definite you know besides the mental health side where we've seen some physiological changes too in some folks the question of course is for how long i think um and so uh and then one thing i'd like to mention too dr castell you're talking about the sort of changing the demographics a little bit of some of the folks who are getting infected um one of the one of the things that, and this is anecdotal, it's not based on data. I should mention to the listeners because everybody knows I'm the data guy. But one of the things I've been seeing is is you getting some people who get COVID and they get sick, and then they'll have family members who are just completely unaffected. Which is, you know, it's not to say they may have not had it; but they might have been asymptomatic, and that's been interesting. Um, and the, the terms are okay. So from the data perspective, one of the things that's also like you said, Dr. Castell, because we don't have that sort of what you say public reporting of the testing um one of the things i've seen them using for data tracking now is they actually are testing wastewater um and they're also using um hospital admission rates as potential prediction for covid infections although those are far less accurate than what we used to have with actual test reporting 
but it's still it's still out there clearly right certainly still seeing it out there and and as i said i i continue to see people hospitalized i i know people who test positive uh friends uh, of mine and and as you said there's different ways that we've learned how to try to track it, you know, wastewater, my daughter right now, um, a lot of the diapers I changed, you know, they don't make it into the wastewater. So some of these kids that get COVID, that's obviously a way if they're still in diapers, that's something that's not really captured in wastewater, but it does give us an idea, at least to your point, you know, if people are testing positive at home, you know, they don't, have to report that. And so uh, it's not reported in these national numbers. So we're doing our best to, uh, you know, have an understanding and really these variants. I think that's the the big thing that I think people frequently have questions about um, because we're living in science right now, you know, in regards to the changing nature. And I know that it can be confusing to the public and healthcare providers alike in regards to the the changing guidance and Really, I mean, that's what we want to do. We want to study this and continue to learn more. So we continue to track these these variants. We do this with other viruses too. So we're coming up on the fall, which is flu season as well. So a completely different virus, but we frequently monitor the different strains of the flu uh, or the influenza virus and base our, our vaccines off of what we think the most dominant strains will be so that people can have protection against what they're more likely to see in their community. We're now getting to a place with COVID that we're also seeing that. So I mentioned briefly about Omicron uh, booster shots. So COVID-19 Omicron booster shots, we're anticipating that to happen um, close to around Labor Day. Um, and we're still waiting to see who will be recommended to get that. But the the goal is to provide more protection. We know that our current vaccines provide some protection, but uh, the, the thought is, is that with these booster shots that target the the strain of the viruses that virus that we're seeing most commonly in our community that will hopefully have even better uh, protection to to help protect people from getting severely ill having to go in the hospital or or, or even worse and I want to go back to the the conversation about the long haul effects um and I've seen that in my own family. My father is has been dealing with that uh, quite a bit, and my mom to some extent, and some other some other folks I know. But I, is there anything you see long haul effects with children, or is it more with older adults? Because um, I've not really heard anything about children dealing with it, but you're in it every day. So is there anything that you've been seen on that front? We do see children that have post-COVID conditions and, and long-haul COVID. In kids, probably one of the big post-COVID conditions we see is, is MISC, which is multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. There's also a version for adults. Those those kids that get MISC are are really sick um, and usually definitely end up in the hospital. But we know that post-COVID conditions tend to be found more often in people who have had severe COVID-19 illness. And, and by and large, we know that children uh, compared to adults tend to have less severe disease, but there are, you know, uh, 
tens of thousands of, of children who've been been hospitalized. We've seen hundreds of children, unfortunately, pass away from COVID. So uh, there certainly are children who get these post-COVID conditions. I think uh, to what even Chris said, some of those memory uh, challenges that uh, we're, we're starting to see, I think behavioral symptoms, attention, um, you know, uh, even some depression, um, anxiety, those are some of the, the things that we're seeing as well. In addition to people having, saying, you know, I just am short of breath for such a long period of time. So really, we need to know a lot more. Where I work at, at West Virginia University, I have colleagues who are studying this in children specifically, you know, what really are these post-COVID conditions impacted on children, because we really need answers so that we know how to prepare uh, long-term. There aren't, unfortunately, as many treatment centers for post-COVID conditions as we we need. Um, there certainly are different centers out there, but we're, we're seeing more and more uh, come or be established so that people can can get care, because a lot of times it's, it's hard for people to find a place to go that they can get help for these post-COVID conditions. We as a medical and health community, science community are continuing to learn more, uh, but we are seeing it all across the, the age spectrums and there's ongoing uh, studies and ongoing uh, you know, attempts to better understand what they are and who they impact and, and who gets impacted more than others to see if there's any kind of kind of trend. So should um so for for our administrators and our administrators sorry our administrators and our teachers out there, Dr. Costello, is, are, are, should they be concerned or potentially providing accommodation for kids that might have potentially had this long COVID? Is are these things that they should be thinking about? We certainly all need to be thinking about you know what are the long term impacts. I think we talked last time a little bit about you know what we're seeing academically and and some academic declines from you know children not being in school certainly we want children to be in school they need to be in school i'll i'll give a shout out now and maybe again at the end like thank you to all the educators on listening to this podcast and and everyone that's involved in in educating uh, children certainly had a personal impact on my life um, and, and the children I care for. So thank you for all that you're doing. And we have seen very clearly that children need to be in school. We need to try to do that as safely as possible. But I think as we move forward, there's certainly going to be a need for ongoing accommodations. Maybe that's secondary to post-COVID conditions, or it could be secondary to just the ongoing stress that individuals experience because of the pandemic. We've had so many children lose a caregiver due to COVID. That's impactful on, on a child, and that adds toxic stress. Um, you know, maybe their family underwent hardship uh, losing a job or having a loved one who who got sick, um, being isolated. So I think for for certainly uh, the foreseeable future, we're going to see ongoing impacts from this pandemic on people of all ages, but certainly our children. And we're going to need to make accommodations or at least I think have an understanding and an, and be thinking of that and how can we then get children the help they need, whether that's through, um, you know, being, seeing a therapist or a counselor, or maybe needing additional testing to, to figure out what's 
may be going on if they would benefit from some type of medical treatment. And so I think we certainly, all of us who have an, an opportunity to care for a child and to interact with a child, including parents, you know, I'm a parent now too, to, to be mindful of that and to try to get kids the help that, that they need if they, they do have any uh, impact from, from either having COVID or just the secondary effects of, of COVID. Let's talk just a little bit uh, about some of the other diseases that are out there that you see. We know that monkeypox is is now in the conversation, national or well, global conversation. So what are some other things that I don't know necessarily have you concerned, but are at least on your radar right now? I think what we're seeing and COVID has certainly brought this uh uh, more to the forefront of, of we have different viruses all the time. And, and this is why we have monitoring systems and we we keep an eye on different viruses when they emerge. Sometimes we're able to contain them and other times they they spread. And and that's what we've we've certainly seen with with monkeypox. So monkeypox is a, a monkeypox virus. It's a it's in a it's a different family of viruses than we see with with covid it, usually it, it's a self-limited disease and the symptoms can can last up to weeks there certainly can be severe cases that that we see um and the way it's transmitted is is through close contact with an infected person or or an animal um with the material that has that that virus um and so if when it comes to people usually um we're seeing um you know whether that's a, a bodily fluid or respiratory droplets contaminated materials you know touching someone that's in, infected um with monkeypox uh, we do have a, a vaccine and there's more uh, vaccine being um, authorized and and some of the vaccines are from that the smallpox eradication program um, and and some of the vaccines used there provided protection against monkeypox and so uh, there is a vaccine that um, can be provided uh, for people who are higher risk or um, who have had an ex exposure and there's ongoing efforts to try to contain this, but if people are having a symptom, so if they're having um, a rash that um, have swollen lymph nodes, a fever, um, and in, you know, maybe it's something that, that, it, that they haven't noticed before, or, uh, you know, again, it, something with anytime there's a rash, as a pediatrician, I frequently uh, see children with rashes. I think making sure you're seen by healthcare professionals so they can do a good history and physical exam and determine if you're at risk um, for monkeypox to then have that that testing is important to again try to to limit how much we see the 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 spread of that particular virus. So that's the new virus that has made um, its way. But um, I, I think it's very important for people to remember about other viruses that we have. So when I've been recently on, in the hospital caring for, for children, I've seen RSC, RSV or respiratory syncytial virus that tends to really impact our, our younger kids. Um, so maybe those preschoolers or kindergarten, but it can impact even adults and cause really severe uh, disease. Our, our treatments are 
and prevention are, are pretty limited for RSV. It used to be something we would see kind of in the winter months and the, the early part of the year, January, February, March, but we really have started to see this uh, more year round. And then now in the fall, we have um, influenza. So flu, flu season is back. It's important to get vaccinated. I always say flu before boo. So you want to try to get your flu shot before uh, Halloween so that you get the protection before we see more influenza in our communities. But that's uh, another virus that we need to, to be mindful of. Um, and then certainly getting protected against COVID-19. So I mentioned my daughter was able to get her first uh, dose of COVID-19 vaccine, but we still know that vaccination is our, our strongest tool in prevention for any disease, really. We want to try to prevent uh, the disease from, from happening or certainly prevent severe disease um, from happening. So even if you do uh, catch the virus, um, you are are less likely to have really severe disease. Um, and, and we think that also will help prevent um, potentially some of those longer haul symptoms that we were talking about, particularly when it comes to COVID. So there's other va viruses out there. There's other diseases out there. Um, I think it's just important for all of us to do the best we can to prevent the diseases, get vaccinated if you're eligible, wash your hands. And if you are feeling sick, um, you know, either take a test if you think it's something like COVID or a respiratory illness, stay home, you know, away from others. Um, and then certainly if you have a fever and rash and you think you might be concerned for monkeypox, <clears throat> excuse me, or something else, it's important to, to be seen by a healthcare professional to see if you need tested. So, um... Dr. Costello, I guess a final question here. Normally we ask our uh, our magic wand question, but we've already asked that to you in the past. So um, except Jared's cool with it. I think I'll just ask a, an overarching question. So going into the fall and spring semesters of this year for, for teachers and students and parents and administrators, what are some takeaways that they should be thinking about um, as we go into this next school year? Uh, what, what are some things that we should just be mindful of, maybe aware of, monitoring, that kind of that kind of thing? Well, I would still like to have my magical wand wish because I think if we can still, can, I, I answered last time, my answer would be the same, ongoing partnerships in our community so that we can, can grow. But um, I think teachers and educators play such an important role in really the way, um, I think this could be a whole discussion for good or for bad, schools are a safety net. And so um, I think the more educators are aware of some of the things we talked about, if you have a child that's that's struggling, maybe that's learning or or otherwise, try to, to get them the resources or, or plugged into the resources. I know in many places, particularly in our rural communities, it can be challenging to, to get plugged into those services, but just being mindful that that children might need extra support and might need that one caring adult, um, whether it's because of stress that they've had from a disease itself or the secondary effects of, of the disease. Um, I certainly think that we all, all of us who have an opportunity to interact with children need to be mindful of that because the earlier we can intervene, the better long-term outcomes we can see. And then I think it takes all of us to be mindful of that um, as 
as tired as we all might be, there's still these viruses that um, exist um, and they don't really care if we're tired or not. So staying up to date on vaccination, washing your hands, if you're sick, staying staying home or making sure you're getting tested because there might be treatments uh, available. Uh, those are all things that we can can do. If you um, so choose, wear a mask. You know, I still wear my mask in public um, to protect myself, but really to be mindful of my daughter who's not yet up to date on vaccination um, because she's just started her her vaccine series for, for COVID-19 and, um, you know, still getting her other routine immunizations as well. So those are some of the things that we all can do. And then my last thing is, is I think that we we certainly all need to just instill hope and and optimism in in one another and help where we can and really bring um any type of of hope and, and joy that we can um for one another and certainly our children because we know that this has been a tough time but uh, we are we can be resilient and by working together and and continuing to to move forward together um there's a lot of reasons to be be hopeful and and we need that it for ourselves but we also need that certainly for our children thank you so much that's great advice and great perspective um really appreciate the update and as a Father of five, it, it's always uh, important for me to learn as much as we can about this ongoing issue we're, we're still struggling with. So thank you very much for uh, being our guest today. Follow-up guests. Well, thank you so much for having me and you guys keep up the great work and um, appreciate again, all the work that everyone listening to this podcast does um, for, for children and their communities. Um, you all are the the real MVPs and real superheroes, and I'm so grateful for the educators in my life and for all that you do for our our children and our communities. Same, absolutely. Well, Dr. Costello, I hope you'll come back and and <laughs> revisit with us again. And we've had some really great feedback um, on on your last episode of how helpful it was, and we would love to have you back again at some point if you'd be willing to do it. So. Always happy to come back. Thanks for having me. I think uh, I always learn from you guys uh, too. And maybe one time I'll get the trifecta because I've not yet ever had the opportunity to be on with all three of you. Yeah, yeah. I call it the unholy trinity. I'm not really sure who the Father, <laughs> Son, and Holy Ghost is, but <laughs> but no, we 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 would love to have you back and definitely have you back with all three of us. So. Um, so yeah, again, Dr. Costello, thank you for joining us today. As always, I'd like to thank my co-host, Dr. Jared Bingham. Uh, Dr. Pratt, we miss you, uh, but look forward to seeing you on the next episode. And uh, for our listeners out there, uh, Dr. Costello's point about how much we appreciate everything you all are doing. You know, you're all fighting a good fight for our kids out there. We appreciate what you're doing. Um, so we, uh, we will hopefully... Uh, have a couple more episodes like this in the near future. And so for myself and Dr. Bingham and the, the Rural Voice, uh, we're signing off. Thanks so much. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast and website are those of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jerry Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and do not represent the affiliated universities and or any organization affiliated with the hosts. This podcast and the accompanying material, including our website, represent the opinions of Dr. Alan Pratt, Dr. Jared Bingham, and Dr. Christopher F. Silver, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or professional advice and should be used at your own risk.
The content here is for informational purposes only and should be understood as such. The Rural Voice podcast or its hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And the information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. Further, the content of this podcast are the property of the National Rural Education Association and are protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark law. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without prior written permission. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the terms and conditions, and while we make every effort to ensure that the information that we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Thank you.